All right, let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. While you're turning there, let me remind you with uh, a week from this Sunday being Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve we'll have all the regular services at the regular time, no change at Madison Baptist Church. Let me just say, if uh, you know people out there that their church is canceling their uh, Sunday night service, invite them to Madison Baptist Church that night. They can still come to church, all right? And uh, we'll not try to steal them from their church, but just let them know there's a place you can go to church on Christmas Eve. Uh, Madison Baptist Church. It's a Sunday. Sunday is the Lord's Day. It's always the Lord's Day. And people want to say, but this is a family time of year. Yeah, and the family belongs in church. So believe that very, very strongly. Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're at. Let's read the whole passage again. We'll get into one particular item of the armor of God. Notice beginning in verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I beg you again tonight for the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, I know this is reality. What you wrote here, it is reality. But Lord, uh, we don't act like it. And that's what leads so many Christians to defeat in their own Christian walk. I pray, dear God, tonight that you'll make this very, very real to us. That all of this is real. This is your provision for us to be everything that we ought to be in our Christian walk. To face all of life's problems and the attacks and snares of the evil one. Lord, bless us tonight, deal with hearts and lives, and Lord, we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name, amen. As I've said each week, I am convinced that the answer to all our real problems in life, the answers to them are found right here in the scripture. I believe that with all my heart. If I didn't, we wouldn't be meeting tonight. This stuff is real. God gives this to us for a purpose. As we read at the very beginning, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. And then he tell, tells us why. There, of course, are the wiles of the devil to deceive us. There is the battle to defeat us. And then, of course, there's the evil day to defile us. That's all very, very real. It's still going on today, just like it did back in Paul's day. Uh, it's still the same. The devil is still real. The battle is still hot. All of that is still going on, and God's armor still works. Now, as we went through the problems that confront us, we've got three commands that he gives us because of it. He tells us to be strong in the Lord, to be strong in the Lord, not strong in the psychiatrist, not strong in psychobabble, uh, not strong in the world. Matter of fact, if any man loved the world, the love of the Father is not in him. 
But we are to be strong in the Lord. And then we're to put on the whole armor of God. Twice he tells us to do that. (coughs) Pardon me, in verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God. We're not to leave any of it off. All of this is important. Now, even if you don't see the importance, trust me, trust the Lord, it is important or he wouldn't tell us to put it all on. You go down to verse 13, wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God. We need to get this. You remember the first thing he talked about was in verse 14, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. That's where it begins, truth. If you're not going to follow the truth of God's word, if you are not convinced that God's word is true, you're not going to win in this battle. That's all there is to it. You're not going to keep yourself clean. You're going to have an awful lot of regrets down the road if you don't put on this very first piece of armor. It doesn't even seem like a piece of armor, but this is really the very rock, the foundation, God's truth. Therefore, I esteem all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Jesus said, thy word is truth. He believed it all. When he was tempted of the devil in Matthew chapter 4 and in Luke chapter 4, he answered the devil all three times and all three of the temptations with the book of Deuteronomy. He didn't answer him with something new. He simply gave him the scripture. You need the truth of God's word if you're going to stand like he wants you to stand, to be strong in the Lord and face up in the battle. And then you'll notice he mentioned in the rest of that verse and having on the breastplate of righteousness. You remember that we discussed the breastplate of righteousness is not the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ is not something that you put on. That is something that you receive When you took Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. The righteousness, this breastplate of righteousness is your outward walk and testimony is to be such. I I wish more Christians were concerned about their testimony. There's a reason that we are told that we're to avoid every appearance of evil. It's for testimony's sake. You understand if you're saved, the devil can't get your soul. But if you're not careful, he'll steal your testimony. That's why we need the armor, because of the wiles of God to deceive us and the battle to defeat us and the evil day to defile us. Because once that happens, your testimony doesn't stand for anything anymore. You look like a hypocrite to those that you ever want to turn back to any kind of a Bible answer. If you're not going to stand for thus saith the Lord, but the breastplate of righteousness to keep you from being defeated and contaminated. And uh, then he says, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We spent quite a bit of time on that two weeks ago with the gospel of peace. Where we go, we're supposed to be telling others about the Lord Jesus Christ. This isn't just a Saturday thing or a Thursday thing. We're to be witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ all the time. And then he said, above all, we covered this last week, above all. Now, he wants us to take all the armor, but if you go out without this piece of armor, you've got nothing to defend you against the fiery darts of the wicked one. Above all, he says, taking the shield of faith. Now, it gets back to the word of God again. We answer all of the devil's fiery darts with the word of God. And we discuss the different things that the devil used with his fiery darts, that of, of doubt, 
that of denial of the word of God, disgrace, a number of different things that we talked about last week. How are you going to build up that shield of faith? How are you going to do that? Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, those are all very important pieces of armor. Obviously, every one of them. We get to this one in verse 16, and he says, and take the helmet of salvation. Now, unlike the last two, he doesn't make any extra comments about it, the helmet of salvation. He is not talking about getting saved because only saved people can put on the whole armor of God already. What's he talking about when he's talking about the helmet of salvation? Why is that important? Well, obviously, if you're not, if you don't have assurance that you have been born again, you're not going to be very stout in the battle and standing for God, regardless of what the cost may be. You read books like Fox's Book of Martyrs or By Their uh, Blood by James and Marty Hefley, Martyrs of the 20th Century. And you see that down through the years and still even today in different parts of this world, the Christians that have suffered persecution and torture and death because they knew where they were going. They knew they were going to heaven, but they stood no matter what. Some of the most stirring stories. And by the way, I personally think, parents, you would do yourself a lot of good and your children a lot of good if you would teach them a number of those stories about Christian heroes. We're not talking about people who caught a touchdown pass. We're not talking about people who could hit a baseball or could kick a soccer ball. We're talking about people who are willing to have their blood shed, their lives taken from them in horrible pain and agony for the Lord Jesus Christ. That hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11 is only part of it. Uh, do we see people having victory after victory? You get to verse 34 and he says, And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might receive a better resurrection. These are heroes of the faith. See, these are people, they knew where they were going when their eyes closed in death. There was no doubt about that. There's no doubt about their stand. We notice, first of all, the priority of the helmet. Now, you would think almost that this would be first. Having that knowledge that for sure you know that you're saved. Now, to be sure, you cannot gird your loins with truth or use the shield of faith until you're saved. That's for sure. Here, it's not talking about getting salvation, but knowing that you have it. I mean, knowing that you have it. Knowing that you have it. Not wondering if you have it. Not hoping that you have it. But knowing that you have it, D-U-K-N-O-W, that you have it. Are you saved and do you know it? After all, 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, These things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God says you can know it. And he tells us he's given his word so that you can know it. Do you know you're saved? You want to go out and fight the battle? You're going to have to know it. How can you convince other people that they need what you've got when you don't even know if you've got it? You've got to know you have it. Do you know that you have it? Has that matter been settled that you have it? When you get into the battle, you'd better have these things settled. That's the priority of the helmet and the protection of the helmet. I want you to go over to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. We're going to spend some time here and getting this thing settled. 
There may be somebody watching over the internet right now and they don't have this matter settled. There might be somebody seated here in the auditorium that it still bothers you. Anytime a preacher says, if you know for sure if you died right now, you go to heaven, raise your hand. And you raise your hand because you don't want to be embarrassed and not raising your hand. But every time you think, I don't really know for sure if I'm saved. But I want you to look at it. See it. Look beginning at verse 11. And this is... The record, not it may be the record, this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Then notice, these things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Now, he lays the groundwork for us. This is the record. God hath given to us eternal life. This life is in his Son. Obviously, he that has the Son has life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And he says, I have written these things. He does not say, I have given you certain feelings. How do you know you're going to heaven when you die? How do you know you're going to heaven? I, I, I can give you, here's my answer to that. God says I am. God says I am. He says it right here in the book. I can go to verse after verse. It says, I'm going to heaven. You know, even when John wrote the book of John, the gospel of John himself, in verses 30 and 31 of chapter 20, he says, in many other signs, truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. Now, John is letting us know, you know, he, there's a lot that Jesus did that John didn't write about. And the reason he didn't, he picked out certain things. The Holy Ghost of God picked out certain things to put down in the book of John to get people to believe the truth about Jesus and believing the truth about Jesus, they'd have life through his name. You've got to believe right. You've got to re believe right about who he is. You've got to believe right about what he did. He paid your sin debt on the cross of Calvary. He died for you. He says, so I've written this book so that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, he wrote, of course, John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the book of the Revelation. But now this is given by the Holy Spirit of God. So it's not just talking about the books of John. He's written this book so that you can know that you have eternal life. It's the purpose of the book. So he says in John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. John chapter 3, beginning at verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already. You see, because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
So he's letting us know how we can have life. This is the truth. It is a done deal. He that believeth on the Son, John 3, 36, hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, it's important that we get this. You say, but what if he throws you away? He won't do it. He tells us in John 6, 47 or 6, 37, he says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Did you come to Jesus? If you came to Jesus, he's not going to cast you out. If you received him, he gave you the power to be a son of God. You see, all these promises are very, very positive. Over in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 20, for all the promises of God, in him are yea and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. You can't get past it. And he says, I've written these things so that you may know. First John 1, 7, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, I have had people come to me and say, preacher, I'm not really sure that I'm saved. I don't really know for sure that I'm saved. Well, first of all, when somebody mentions that to me, I never say, oh, you're saved. Well, I've known you for a long time. Why, sure, you're saved. I've never told them that. I won't tell them that because I don't know who's saved and who isn't. I can't, God's not giving me a special look into the, into the Lamb's book of life to see your name there. Uh, I can't. I don't know what happened when you got saved. I don't know if you put your faith and trust in Christ or not when you got saved. But there are a lot of people, they're looking back to something they felt. They're looking back to goosebumps that they had. They're looking back to the fact that they laughed or that they cried and oh, they had just such a sweet feeling come over them. But there's nowhere in the scripture where it says you're going to feel anything or have anything. You may have laughed and when you got saved. That's fine. But laughing is not a sign that you got saved. You may have cried. That's fine. But crying wasn't a sign you got saved. You say, well, I, I got goosebumps all over. Well, that's not a sign you got saved. You don't find that anywhere in the Bible. He says, these things have I written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, so what I'll do is this. I'll say, well, let's find out. If he's written these things so you can know it, Let's go to some scripture and find out if that scripture says that you're saved or that you're lost. Because the answer's got to be in God's word. Quite often, I'll take them to John chapter 3 and verse 36. He, that's just one of the verses. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And then I asked them, does that verse say that you're saved or lost? And I wait for an answer. Well, according to that verse, I'm saved. Well, then what are you? Saved or lost? Now, here's the trouble sometimes. I'll get an answer like this. Well, according to that verse, I'm saved, but I don't really remember the words that I prayed. I don't really remember if I came forward because little Johnny came forward first. Or if I came forward because I was convicted of my sin. All right, let's get down to this. Let me ask you right now, right this minute, what are you trusting to take you to heaven? Right now, right this minute. Well, I'm trusting Jesus. Okay, so if you're trusting Jesus as your Savior, 
If you are believing on him, trusting him only to save you, not some words that you said when you came forward in church or somebody prayed with you, but you put your trust in Jesus Christ. You know you're trusting Jesus right now. Let's just say that the date that you made a profession of faith was October the 1st, 1985. That's when you made your profession of faith. I said, all right, now here we are in 2023. And you know that right now you're trusting Jesus. Now, you made a profession way back in 1985 on October the 1st, but you're not really sure whether or not you got saved then. But if you're trusting him now as your Savior, then sometime between October 1st, 18, or 1985, that'd make you really old if it was 1885, uh, in, uh, in 1985, if you really didn't get saved, somehow, sometime, somewhere between October 1st, 1985 and today, somewhere you started just trusting Jesus. I mean, if you're trusting him now, it had to begin someplace. It had to begin sometime. So really, the question is not whether or not you're going to heaven the question is whether or not you had a Christian baptism. Because baptism is only to take place after you get saved. But if you're trusting Christ as Savior, you're saved. And here's what I tell them to do. And now you're positive that you're trusting Jesus alone to save you. Yes, I'm trusting Jesus alone to save me. Then where does the Bible say you're going when you die? Heaven. What does it say you have? Everlasting life. That's right. So I want you to write down in the, in the fly leaf of your Bible, I know, and I give, if I give today's date, that I am trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior, therefore I have everlasting life. I may not know when it began, but I know now, and if, once you have it, you can't lose it. He won't throw you out. You can't give it away. You've got everlasting life. And since maybe it started yesterday, no, I had it start before then. Well, maybe it started last year. No, no, I know I've been trusting him longer than that. Uh, how far back can you go that you know you were trusting him? Well, I don't know. Then I'll tell you what, let's just be careful about this thing. We know baptism doesn't save anybody. But since you're not really sure whether or not you got born again before you got baptized, let's go ahead and just take care of that and follow the Lord and believers baptism. I believe in being obedient to God. Matter of fact, Brother Ken Westenberger had made a profession of faith when he was in the Church of the Nazarene and made a profession of faith. But he got that thing settled later on. And so he filed the Lord and Believer's baptism. We did that over in the other building. Brother Ken West Westenberger, he and his wife Brenda, great missionaries out of Madison Baptist Church to the country of Uganda and then South Africa. They did a great job. But you see, that was, he was one of those fellows that it was exactly like what I'm talking about right now. What does the Word of God say? Does it say that you are saved or not? I actually had one man that I, when I read John 3, 36 to him, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, nor the wrath of, for the wrath of God abideth on him. I said to him, does that verse say you're saved or lost? And without a moment's hesitation, he said, it says, I'm lost. Okay, then let's get saved. 
right now. You put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I'm not going to lead you in the prayer. Put your trust in Christ right now for your salvation. He did. And he followed the Lord and believers baptism like he should. When I was pastoring in Manchester, Tennessee, uh, one of the secretaries that I had there, sweet gal, soul winning gal. I had known her for a few years. I pastored there for eight and a half years. And her and her husband, just sweet Christians, seemed to be sweet Christians, wonderful Christians. She came to me one day and she said, Pastor, I've been having real doubts about whether or not I'm saved. So I said, well, let's find out. And I went to the scripture, like I've already told you. Does that verse say you're saved or lost? Does this verse say you're saved or lost? Well, she would say, they say I'm saved, and, but she still didn't get any peace. I said, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take John three thirty six. I want you to write it out on a card. I want you to put it in the windowsill, uh, windowsill at the, in your kitchen where your sink is at. And every time that you do the dishes, I want you to say, Lord, am I saved or lost? And then read that verse out loud. I said, I want you to take another piece of paper and write 1 John 5, 12. And I want you to put that on your refrigerator. And every time you go to your refrigerator, I want you to ask the Lord, Lord, am I saved or lost? And then read it. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And then I gave her a couple of other places where she could, on a three-by-five card, put a verse. And every time she would get to the places where I told her to put those cards, I would say, you pray, Lord, am I saved or lost? And then you read that verse out loud. After all, these things are written that you may know that you have eternal life. So (laughs) about two weeks later, she came into work and she said, Pastor, it is settled No doubt, I know I'm saved. I know I'm going to heaven when I die. Well, I said, were you saved before or did you just get saved this week? She said, oh, I was saved before. Just having that matter settled. I I remember shortly after I went to Bible college and starting hearing some of these preachers that preached in chapel. I'm, I'm sorry, but... Uh, they would get up and say things like this. Well, bless God, when I got saved, I felt this great load of sin roll off my back. And if you didn't feel that load of sin roll off your back, then you probably weren't saved. And they would give different examples like that. You know, if you didn't cry, if you didn't get excited about it, all this kind of stuff. And, and I say, well, man, maybe I'm not saved. But if I'm not saved, then that means that God called me to preach, didn't call me to preach. He wouldn't call a lost man to preach. I thought, so I was getting confused. And one of uh, my teachers stood up in class and he was giving an example of the Passover lamb. You remember Israel was told for the 10th plague that they were to take a lamb, a lamb without blemish and without spot. They were to slay the lamb. They were to take the hyssop branch, put it in the blood and, and just paint the blood across the doorpost. If they didn't do that, the firstborn would die. For all the, all the homes in Egypt, their firstborn would die. And even for the Israelites, their firstborn would die if they didn't put the blood on the doorpost. And he said, so here's a father. He hears Moses give the instructions about slaying the lamb, about dipping the hyssop branch in the blood, about putting a prod across the doorpost. And now it becomes evening. 
The dad is sitting in the living room and his son is sitting at the table and he's concerned. He says, Dad, are you sure that you put enough blood on the doorpost? Are, are you sure you covered enough of the area, Dad? He said, I did exactly what Moses said. Are you sure you didn't forget anything? And pretty soon the cries coming from the Egyptian homes as the firstborn in those homes was dying. And the son's getting even more nervous. Dad, the firstborn's dying in these other homes. Are you sure you got it exactly right? Now here's the thing. That young man can sit in that house and doubt all night long, but in the morning he'll still be alive because the blood was applied. So why worry about it? I've got God's word on it right here. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now, I'm, an, I'm a Baptist, and I believe once saved, always saved. I believe that. I believe once saved, always saved. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that, first of all, because Jesus taught it. I believe it because it's spelled out in the Word. I believe that the very nature of salvation, salvation is by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, as any man should boast. It demands it. And I could give you another number of other reasons why I believe it. The Scripture obviously clearly teaches that. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1 and verse 6. Jude 24. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and present you faultless in the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. I love John chapter 10. In John chapter 10 beginning verse 27. Jesus said my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. Now, you've got to admit, right there would be a good time if you could lose your salvation for Jesus to say, I give unto them eternal life, but if they mess up, I'll take it back. He doesn't do that. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all. No man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So here am I. I'm in the hand of Jesus. Not only that, and nobody can take me out, and he's already said he'll not throw me away. I'm also in the hand of the Father. And no man, I can't even take myself out. No man can take me out of his hand. So I'm in Jesus' hand. I'm in the Father's hand. They won't throw me away. And twice it tells us in the book of Ephesians, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, and Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, that by the Holy Ghost of God, we are sealed unto the day of redemption, wrapped the Holy Ghost around Jesus' hand and the Father's hand. The only way I could possibly go to hell is for Jesus and the Father and the Holy Ghost to all go with me. That's security right there. Why would I doubt any bit of that? Why did he write it? He wrote it so that I could know that I have everlasting life. I was talking with a lady, I don't remember what denomination she was of. She said, oh, you Baptist. You Baptist, you, you believe once saved, always saved. I said, well, I believe it because that's what the Bible's teaching. Well, I, I don't believe it teaches that. I said, 
If I could show you a verse in the Bible that said once saved, always saved, if I could show you a verse that said that, would you believe it if it said that in the Bible? She wouldn't answer me. And I said, well, there's not a verse that says once saved, always saved. But if there was one in the Bible, would you believe it? She said, well, if it was in the Bible, I'd believe it. I said, well, can I show you a verse that said once that you're saved, you can't ever be condemned. Would you believe that? So she felt a little more secure now. And she said, well, yes, I'd believe it if I, if I saw it in the Bible. So I turned to John 5, 24. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And I said, now that's being saved, isn't it? And she said, well, yes. I said, okay, here, you take it and you read the verse out loud. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation. She stopped. She looked back down and read it. She looked back up at me. And then she said, it must not mean that. I said, now I asked you if I could show you a verse. I said, once you got saved, you could never be condemned. Would you believe it? You said you would. And there Jesus said it very, very plainly. Let me tell you the reason I believe in the eternal security of the believer. I can't call Jesus a liar. And everybody who believes you can lose your salvation, that's exactly what they're doing. They are calling him a liar. And the reality is, if you could lose your salvation then nobody can know. And yet 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 tells us he wrote these things so we could know. That ought to be enough for us right there. That just settles it. I'm going to tell you what, if I'm not going, nobody's going. It's just the way it is. Because either you get salvation by putting your faith and trust in Jesus alone to save you, or nobody. Remember, Paul even said in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if he rose not from the dead, then our faith is in vain. They also that have, uh, let's see, what, what is it? Uh, died in Jesus. It's not exactly the way he said it. Uh, but are perished. He had to die for our sins and be buried and rose three days later from the dead. All that had to take place. Thank God it, was, it took place exactly like God said so that we could know that we have eternal life. We've got a great book. We've got marvelous promises, yea, and all the promises of God. In him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. What a tremendous passage of Scripture. Romans chapter 8, dealing with the security of the believer. You'll notice, for instance, beginning in verse 28, very familiar verse, and we know that all things work together for good, to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now get this. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. Let me stop right there for a moment. Now God does not make anybody get saved. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't know who's going to get saved. He's God. He knows everything. He knows who's going to believe and who isn't going to believe. That's his foreknowledge, all right? Here's what God has predestinated. 
He has predestined that all who believe will be conformed to the image of his son. If you are a believer, he's making you like Jesus. And he has predestinated that you're going to be just like Jesus. That's predestination. I believe in biblical predestination. Do you realize if you believe you could lose your salvation, God's still got to fulfill his word to make you like Jesus. And that would mean the bunch of little Jesuses are going to be running around in hell. Man, that almost sounds like blasphemy. That's ridiculous. But he's not done. Notice he says, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now let's just skip down a couple of verses here. In verse uh, 33, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Now, answer some of these questions for me. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one. That's obvious. He's not done. Shall tribulation? No. Or distress? No. Persecution? No. Famine? No. Nakedness? Boy, there are a lot of Christians checking this out, aren't they? A lot of Christians today, the nakedness that they run around dressed like, it's like they're daring God. But even naked, even their nakedness can't uh, take it away. Peril? No. Sword? No. He says, as it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We're counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, and all these things were more than conquerors through him that loved us. So here we are more than conquerors. These last two verses in the chapter, verses 38 and 39, I want to read them and I want to go back and explain it. Notice in verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he is persuaded about these number of things that he mentions that cannot separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's find out what are the things that cannot separate us. How about this? Life or death. That's everything. Is that not everything? Life or death can't separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What we're going to see is tremendous redundancy in these two verses. He is going to make this so sure, so solid, so simple that once you have it, you can't lose it. For he goes on to say, first of all, death, no life. Then he says, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers. There is absolutely nothing in the unseen world, whether it be the devil himself or all of his demons put together, that all of them put together cannot separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And just in case there's some good angel out there who gets so sick and tired of the sorry testimony of some Christians, even if they wanted to separate you, they couldn't do it. Right. Hallelujah. But he's not done. 
Then he says, nor things present, nor things to come. Have you noticed how in our country right now, artificial intelligence is propping up in headlines stories practically every day that we're going to be taken over by artificial intelligence and they're going to run the world. Now, they may have some power in the world, but they're not going to. They can't. We know how things are going to end. Uh, we've, we've already got the scripture on that. I'm not worried about artificial intelligence. But here is the point. You wonder, what are they going to be able to do and to control with mind control and all that in the future? He said, listen, of things present and anything to come, it can't separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You don't have to worry about Fauci. You don't have to worry about the creator of Apple. You don't have to worry about, uh, about Bezos. You don't have to worry about any of those people. They cannot separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's absolutely nothing that they can invent or that a whole country full of inventors could come up with that would separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Then he goes on to say, nor height, way up there, nor depth, way down there, nor any other creature. There's not any creature that's going to come along that can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now remember, God says, I've written these things so you may know that you have eternal life. You see, all kinds of things. I might get hit by a bus going out the door today. An airplane, since we're right in the landing path here, an airplane could land on this building while we're meeting, take us all out. Hey, yeah, I'm not worried about it. I know where I'm going. Amen. See, I'm not concerned at all about being dead. Now, I'm, I am a little concerned about how I'm going to die. There's certain ways I really don't care to go, but I don't have a lot of choice in those things. You know what I mean? I just know that when this body stops working... And my spirit is released. I'm going to be with him. And he's got a new body already for me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And everything will be just all right. It'll be fine. I mentioned Brother Sexton to you a little bit ago. He's doing fine. How do I know that? God promised it. He's doing just fine. Hallelujah. Now, God says, I've written these things so you may know. Do you have the helmet of salvation on? If you don't have it settled, you need to get it settled. Don't worry about being embarrassed. A lot of people have had times when they doubted whether or not they were saved. I would not take a chance. You don't want to wait till you stand before God to find out you didn't have it. You need to get it settled so that you never have to worry about it Again, and taking the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is absolutely vital for every one of us. You say, I'd like to be a better servant of the Lord. Then get your salvation settled. Know for sure, don't just hope. Know for sure that you have Jesus and that free gift of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, 
It's got to be a tremendously difficult thing to always wonder, am I really going? Am I really going to spend eternity with you? Have I missed something? Oh, dear God, there's no reason for anybody here to doubt. God's got the answer in your word right here to where they can have it settled. May we all leave here tonight having on the helmet of salvation, knowing we're going to heaven. Have your way, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.